Hey everybody, it's Britt, lead pastor at Sunridge. Welcome or welcome back to our teaching podcast. You know, we are on a mission here at Sunridge to help people find and follow Jesus. We believe in the good news that Jesus welcomes all regardless of how far you feel from God. That means we're a great starting point to explore Christianity or to sink your spiritual roots deep as a devoted Jesus follower. If you'd like to know more about us, just check out our website at sunridgechurch.org. And of course, we'd love to have you drop in anytime for a visit to learn and worship along with us. And now, here's our teaching for this week. Good morning, Sunridge. Great to see you, whether you're joining us online or you're right here on our campus. I just want to say welcome to Sunridge or welcome back or whatever's appropriate uh, for you. Uh, for those of you that are a guest today, maybe first time guests and you don't know me, my name's Britt. I serve here as the lead pastor and I'm so glad that you came to Sunridge today and I hope that, that uh, you found us to be friendly and somebody said hello to you today. Unless you're just looking down the whole time, not wanting to be seen. That's okay, too, with us. I want to put in a plug for Brian and April's uh, growth group. Anybody that's a Menifeeite, you're up there in Menifee. Uh, this is a brand new group, and that's always one of the best situations to join one of our growth groups. You know, some people say, you know, well, why do I need to talk about the sermon after, you know, I've heard such an amazing message by you, Britt? Why would I <laughs> want to hear anybody else? But that's, that's the thing that you, that you may not realize is you get to hear my voice, and, uh, but you really need other voices in your life as well. And uh, getting in a group, discussing that sermon, looking at it from different angles and from different experiences, that is... Uh, that takes it to next level. So if you're really wanting to take the next step in your faith beyond just being here on Sunday morning, this is a great opportunity for you. As, as Brian said, you know, you can connect with, with many different groups, but they're a brand new one, and I put in a big plug for them if you're thinking about it. So, you know, that passage that uh, Brian just read describes Moses asking God to show him more of his glory, more of himself. And then it tells us how God answered that request. And it is one of the most inspiring depictions of a human being wanting more of God in their life. And it also has inspired many of the greatest and well-known hymns that uh, the church for uh, actually a couple of hundred years has sung. Remember hymns? Anybody remember hymns? Yeah, so uh, one, one of those hymns is called Rock of Ages. You heard of that before? How many have heard Rock of Ages? It's first published in 1775 by Augustus Toplady. And uh, the words go like this. See if you can finish it. Rock of Ages, cleft for me. Good job. Let me hide myself in thee. So you, you had to have the King James to make it rhyme back then. <laughs> And then uh, in 1890, uh, I don't know if you've heard Fanny Crosby, heard that name before, of Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young? No, just kidding. Uh, in 1890, she, she wrote another song or hymn related to this passage of scripture, which is remarkable. Fanny Crosby wrote over 8,000 uh, hymns. And uh, what's truly remarkable about her is, you know, she, she became blind at six weeks old. And yet she was such a prolific writer. And one of her most famous hymns of all was, He Hideth My Soul. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock. 
that shadows a dry, thirsty land. He hideth my life in the depths of his love and covers me there with his hand. Good job, you guys. Then there's even King David. I'm not going to ask you to quote uh, from Psalms, but he is the composer and author of many of the Psalms that we find in the Old Testament. In Psalm 32, 7, he, he writes, You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. So all this ties into the guy that we're looking at over the past, I don't know, you know, when we get done, it's going to be 33 weeks, this man named Moses. And we have a lot of ground to cover, I got to tell you today, so because uh, we're, we're going to look at Exodus 33 and 34. And if you remember last week, Moses came down from the mountain, from Mount Sinai, meeting with God. And when he comes into the encampment, the Israelites they have all kinds of shenanigans going on. And uh, God dealt with it. And then in chapter 33, uh, it begins with God meeting with Moses following that golden calf incident. And what God tells him here is, you know, it's time to, uh, to pick up and go. It's time to get going. Verse 1, Then the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. And remember, this land that they're going to go to is their original destination. And they've been hanging out at the, at the base of Mount Sinai for about six to nine months. And uh, now God is saying it's time to take the next step. But because of their epic failure in creating a false god, which was the golden calf, God tells Moses here that he's not going to go with them. You know, there are some times when we don't really want God coming with us where we're headed. But most of the time, we want God right there by our side. And obviously, the people are concerned here. In verse 4, when the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn. So they're like, what? We, we can't do this without God. And as fickle as the Israelites have been, they know that they desperately need God with them, especially for this next thing coming up uh, in their future. So during this time, you guys, if you've been with us, you know that God uh, and Moses would meet at the top of Mount Sinai. In fact, we talked about how Moses has gone, he'll go up and down seven times in total. And, uh, but then in this chapter, in 33 of Exodus, we learned that Moses would also uh, pitch a tent a little ways uh, from the encampment. And there he would meet with God. And the author describes like a cloud would come down on that tent when Moses is there and the people would know that uh, Moses was in conference with God. So remember that the relationship, um, the human relationship with God before Christ had to happen through an intermediary. So there's a separation between God and his people. So Moses has to be a distance away from people when meeting with God. But Jesus Christ removed those obstacles. And now we have direct access to Jesus because of the work that he did for us. In fact, Hebrews calls him the high priest for all. So this meeting that happens in the outside of uh, the camp, in the tent, it's not the tabernacle. 
It's called the Tent of Meeting, and it's fascinating to see how the author describes these conferences between Moses and God. In verse 11, it says the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Now, that is not to say, we'll see, that, uh, that Moses can actually see God's face. Later, we're going to read that uh, no man can see God and live. But it's describing the nature of their relationship and how they communicate with one another. So Moses has this especially close relationship with God. And the rest of chapter 33 of Exodus gives us some details about their conversation. And the first thing Moses tells God is, if we're going to get your people through the desert, or this is what Moses tells God, is that uh, if we're going to get your people, God, through the desert, it's a terrible idea if you don't go with us. Uh, we need you to be with us. And verse 12, Moses said to the Lord, you, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. I mean, if you're not going, then who? And who's going to be your representative? He, you have said, I know you by name, speaking of Moses, and you have found favor with me. So what Moses is doing here is he's saying, you know, God, you've been telling me to lead these people. You gave me this assignment. You gave me this task. And you say I'm your guy. You know me by name, which is a, a, an idiom for their, their unique relationship. And Moses says, but I'm confused here because I, I can't do this without you. I don't have the resources to accomplish this without you by my side. I'm, I'm not smart enough to do this on my own. So, God, we're kind of desperate here. And, you know, Moses isn't whining here. He's actually telling God the straight-up truth. And, you know, I think that that's music to God's ears because I think God wants his people to acknowledge their inadequacy before him. And their need for him. Rather than seeming like we always have it together until we get in a pinch and then we call out to God. You know, sometimes we may not say it out loud, but, but our attitude is, you know, God, you know, um, I'm going to handle this one. Because there are plenty of people that need you right now, and, but I don't because I'm dialed on this. And um, so I don't want I don't want to bother you with that. So I'll give you a shout, Lord, if I need you. Um, but until then, I'm fine without your interference. I mean, your help in my life. And as smart and talented, as committed as Moses was, uh, here's, here's what Moses told God. Verse 13, if you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. So Moses is saying to God here, I, I really, really need you. And I, re I need you to teach me your ways because I'm your representative. I have a huge responsibility here, God. I'm leading your people. Not mine, your people. And how can I lead your people without you? I don't know about you, but I guess I would imagine that if you've been a Christian for any time, You've prayed a prayer similar to that sometime in your life. If you're a mom or a dad or a grandparent, you've prayed that prayer. God, I really need you in this task that I have before me. If, you're, if you've taken on a new job or a challenging job 
in that work that you do, that vocation that comes from God, you're, you've probably thought, God, I, I'm going to need you in this next big step in my life. It doesn't matter if you're a teacher or an administrator or a coach or a Sunday school teacher or a pastor or an usher or even a greeter. The things that we do, like we, we really do need God to be with us. And that's what Moses is saying here. Teach me your ways because I really, really need you, Lord. So what does God say in response? Does he say, man, why do I have to put up with all these insecurities in you, Moses? Why can't you just handle business? Verse 14, the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. In other words, you can, I'm going to be with you. So you don't need to fret. So Moses' prayer is answered here. Now, if it was you and me, and I'm assuming that you're like me, maybe you're not, we'd probably be satisfied with that, right? I mean, God answered his prayer. Okay, so we're good. Do you think that Moses was satisfied with this? Nope. In verse 18, then Moses said, Now, show me your glory. Show me your glory. What is Moses talking about here? God has shown his glory to Moses in so many ways. His miraculous rescue as a baby when he defeated Pharaoh. In the Passover, he saved the children of Israel, the splitting of the sea. How he led them with a cloud and fire in the desert. The battle at Rephidim. But now Moses is even asking for more? And here's how God answers his request. And this is, this is the famous passage that has inspired so many hymns and even a lot of contemporary worship today. Verse 20, but he said, this is the Lord speaking to Moses, you cannot see my face for no one will, may see me and live. And then the Lord said, there's a place near me where you may stand on a rock. And when my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I pass by. And then I will remove my hand so that you can see my back, but my face must not be seen. Isn't that a, that's a great picture. Have you, have you ever heard this saying, you know, like when you wanted to know something, well, I, would I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you? Yeah. yeah. God says to Moses, I can reveal more to you, but it might kill you. And so he sticks him in this cleft of the, this rock outcropping. And he covers him with his hand. And then he walks by until his hand can no longer reach. And then Moses can turn around and see the back of God. So what did Moses see? I have no idea. Uh, but, but the result is that Moses knew God in a way that very few human beings ever have. In fact, um, Psalm 103.7, the psalmist says, he made known his ways to Moses. Remember, that's exactly what he asked for in verse 13. Teach me your ways. And when, when, when he says, teach me your ways, he's talking about, show me your heart. Reveal your values to me. Tell me how you think. If I'm going to represent you, I need to know you. By the way, wouldn't that be a great epitaph on your tombstone? He or she knew the ways of God. So why did God grant that request to Moses? 
I think it's because Moses wanted it so badly and because he genuinely sought it. So in chapter 34, God tells Moses, okay, let's take another run at this. And he has Moses chisel out some new stone tablets. Remember when he came back into the camp uh, where the Israelites were worshiping a golden calf, Moses broke the original set. And so they chisel out this new set. And additionally, Moses re- or God reveals more of his character, his full character. In another way, he's speaking of himself here. And in verse 6 of Exodus 34, he says, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Now, this passage is quoted quoted many, many times in your Bible. But this is God saying, this is who I am. This is God explained. And it's a repeat of something that we've seen previously where God talked of himself as being merciful and just. Remember, we said like there's, there's two tributaries that make the river of God's grace that flows through the world today. It's, and it's made up of mercy and justice. And here, God says to those that are in need, I'm compassionate. To those who cannot measure up, I'm gracious. To the rebellious, I'm slow to anger. And to the unfaithful, God abounds in faithful or loyal love. He keeps his end of the bargain even when we don't. And to the guilty, God says, I'm forgiving. Which is actually the word that we learned uh, or the phrase uh, when we looked at the Ten Commandments. To not take the Lord's name in vain. To not carry the the name of the Lord in vain. Which, you know, in that picture it was like we have the image of God on us and we're to carry his name pick it up and carry it into the world today. But here, God is saying, with our sin, he picks it up and he carries it for us. But then also God says to the unrepentant, I am just. And so we've talked about this, like the justice of God and the mercy of God come together at the cross. Now, if you're Moses you got to be blown away at this point of everything you've seen and heard. He's experienced God's glory. And God has revealed his character to him in a way that he's never done to a human being before. And then something really amazing happens. Have you guys ever had an allergic reaction? Like some of you, like you have really intense allergy, you know? Like your allergy could actually make you stop breathing, you know, close off your throat. Uh, Some of us can get, like, you can get a rash or, um, you know, start sweating. You know, we're allergic to all kinds of things, shellfish, wine, pollen. Well, Moses has a reaction here. It's kind of like an allergic reaction, only it's a good one. And it's not just in his heart or his spirit. It's an actual physical reaction to experiencing the glory of God. In Exodus 34, 29, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. 
after God reveals his glory to Moses, it's like Moses' face is shining. That's, that's the meaning overall. But act, the actual literal translation of this is to grow horns. Yeah, he horned. His face was radiant. Is actually translated, his face horned. Now, this is fascinating to me because I've been a Christian for a long time and I never knew this until I studied for this passage. Maybe it's, plenty of you are smarter than me, so you're way ahead. You're like, oh yeah, I know this. But some ancient depictions of Moses uh, show him with horns, like Michelangelo's uh, version. Here, you see how he has the horns there? Two horns pushing against his skin. But here it's translated radiant or shine because that's, that's, the, that's the essential meeting. It's like, you know, it's like rays. It could also, also be translated rays. So the horns are emanating from Moses' head. Like there are rays of light coming from his face. How many of you knew that already? Awesome. How many of you just learned it? How many of you just woke up because your neighbor moved next to you? Okay. So, did you know that historically, this is fascinating. I'm going to totally nerd out for a while, but you're going to love it. That um, historically, if, if you were seen to have like the special presence of God upon you, uh, you would be de depicted with something on your head. It changed in interpretation over time, but like look at this painting of Jesus and his disciples. Do you see the, the round discs on their head? So here's a few others, some saints from history. Go to the next slide. So see how they have this round thing behind them? So here's, here's another little factoid. If I haven't overwhelmed you yet, this gets, gets even better. If, if you were believed to have a special presence of God upon you, but you were dead, you got one of those round versions. But if you were still living, you'd get a square version, like this of one of the Pope Johns. So you got a square one. So, isn't that weird? Like, that's early symbolism of depicting that you had this special presence of God. So you would be described or seen this way. And it all comes from this, this part of Moses' life, this event in his life. It's like the first halo, right? So through the centuries, this, this way of seeing God's presence eventually disappears from, you know, the larger... Uh, Christian understanding. But that's a little, it's like a nice to know about Moses. Um, so, horns are radiance. Uh, it freaked the Israelites out. Uh, in verse 30, when Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. Kind of makes you think it was horns, huh? So, if you keep reading, uh, Moses starts to wear a veil over his face around people. Uh, and then because he wanted to hide it. So when he was with God, he would take this veil off, and then when he was with people, he put it back on. And we, we don't know, because the Bible doesn't say whether this, like this was a temporary thing or it continued, um, you know, his whole life. But that's, that's the story. So um, that's as far as we're going to go in the story today. I'm going to put a caboose on uh, Moses' life, and again, I'm going to ask, so like what... You know, what does this mean to you and me? I mean, um, we're not in the Bronze Age, right? Here we are in Temecula Valley, 2023. And uh, 
But what I think comes from here is I think it's important for all of us to understand that we have the same God today. Maybe, maybe you felt in your life, um, times in the past or right now, it's like you, you wish you could know God more. Or you would wish you could know that there is a God. You say, uh, I don't want the horns, maybe a halo, but I want to know God. And so here, here's the big idea today. God wants to reveal himself to us. He wants to reveal himself to us. That's true for every human being that's ever been born. Then, now, and I think that there's a deep desire, it's deep inside of human beings, this desire to know God. We have a sense that there's a God. Ecclesiastes says that he has put eternity in our hearts. And here's the thing, this God that wants to reveal himself to us, that we want to know, he wants us to know him too. Just like Moses did in other people in the Bible. He would love for us to know his ways. And he wants for us to have that same relationship that Moses had with him. And he wants to be able to communicate with us like Moses did, like, like a friend. And he wants to reveal his amazing glory to each of us in a unique way. So then why don't we see it? Why, why aren't there millions of people walking around with the glow of God about them? Well, as you've probably figured out, there are some obvious requirements or conditions for knowing God like Moses did. And even though things are different today and, you know, we live in a different time, I think there are still some principles that we can distill from this part of Moses' life that will apply to us today that will relate to us today and will help us to understand how we can know God in that way. So number one, this is in your notes, to know God, you must first realize that it's possible for you to know him. It's possible for you to know him. I know uh, that if you're not a Christian, you're probably saying to yourself, that's impossible. You can't, you can't know a God you can't see or maybe you at least are wondering like how it could even be possible. And if that's you, I want you to just hang on to, to the end of the message. Don't leave. Stick with me. And we'll talk about that. But for many of us who already are Christians, we have to be careful that sometimes Christianity can just become like a religion. And what I mean by that is, you know, there's nothing special about it. It's just like every other religion about trying to make yourself a better person. Or some of you might think of your faith in, in super practical terms. And you're like, you know, just give me a few Bible verses, Britt, that will help me be better at my job or a better dad or a better mom or a better person. But here's the thing. Christian faith is a relationship. It's a relationship with God. And the way God talks about himself is, is a heavenly father. And that relationship is made possible through his son, Jesus Christ. So number one, realize that God does want us to know him above everything else. He wants us to experience him, who he is, to know his heart. But, second point, to know God, 
You have to be willing to pay the price. You have to be willing to pay the price. What does that mean? What it means is just because you're a Christian, it doesn't mean that you know God. Like Moses knew him. God knows you. But isn't it pretty apparent that there are many, many people today who claim to be Christians that they don't seem to know God at all? Think of it this way. Is there any champion, any great business leader, any leader of any kind of sport or in education? Is there any person that achieved that level that did so just passively? This kind of like wandered their way to the top. No. Everybody that rises pays the price. And you know, there have been many champions of every sport, right? But when I think of one of the most incredible champions of all, I think of Dan Gable. I'm going to put his picture up there. There he is. And even though I only wrestled for three days in high school, um, so you should be grateful I'm not telling you a football story right now. Someone said, yeah, out there. Must be a golfer or something. But Gable was one of my heroes. Um, He was an Olympic gold medalist, world champion, world champion uh, gold medalist too. Um, And he was considered one of the best American wrestlers of all time. Now, you can make fun of his comb over if you want, but I wouldn't do it to him, not to his face anyway. And in June of 1972, I was going to be a sophomore after that summer. Sports Illustrated did an article on Dan Cable. The title of it was A Kid Who Doesn't Kid Around. And uh, he trained intensely for the Olympics uh, seven days a week. And here's what he said. When I'm ready to stop, I start wondering what the Russians are doing, and then I keep going. (laughs) I love that. So this Sports Illustrated reporter spent a week with him. And so he just was embedded with him, stayed with him, and witnessed his training. And here's what he wrote in the article. I, remember, I read the article after ninth grade, and then I kept it. Uh, he gets out of bed. When he wakes up, he drops to the floor, and he does sit-ups and push-ups. And what the article reveals is, like, he would go through a deck of cards, and whatever the face value was out of a card, he'd either do push-ups or pull-ups. I mean, uh, sit-ups. And then at 8 in the morning, he would get out and start running multiple miles on a dirt road. And at 1 p.m., he would start lifting weights and punching heavy bag. And at 4 o'clock, he would start his two-and-a-half-hour wrestling workout in the 95-degree heat of the wrestling room. That's one reason I stopped wrestling. Uh, And at 7.30, he would run to the local store to get food for the next day and then run back to his apartment. And at 10 o'clock, before he went to bed, he'd be doing isometrics in his apartment. That's a guy who was intense. He was focused. And I think that Moses was that intense about his relationship with God. Moses was an extraordinary person, not because he was smarter than everyone else or that he was stronger than them. And he wasn't just God's favorite, so he got it handed to him. He had a hunger to know God. And the more he knew him, the more he wanted to know him. So he put in the time. 
and he inconvenienced himself. And he was willing to spend 40 years in the Midian desert, in the University of Midian, and let God transform him. And he did things that no one else was willing to do. That's what I mean by paying the price. Consider what the prophet Jeremiah said, uh, 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. And then David said it this way. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? And then Jesus put it this way in Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So seeking, panting, thirsting, hungering, that's the language of passion. It takes intent and heart and passion and discipline. God's not hiding from people, but he doesn't reveal himself fully to the casual seeker. That's what we see throughout the Bible. Moses said, teach me your ways. Show me your glory. And God said, it might kill you. And then Moses said, well, give me everything up to that point. <laughs> and I wonder, like, you know, I'm, t- I'm talking about myself here. Are we that committed in our relationship to God? Do we have that passion to know God in that way? Because the only way that I can get to know God as Moses did is to pursue him wholeheartedly. See, Moses wanted more than just a few answered prayers. You know, God, here's my list. Or like, give me victory here. He wanted to know God. He wanted to know him. And you know, if we, if we think of our relationship with God like that, it's a game changer. It it, it will change everything about you, and it will certainly change your prayer life. Because at one point you're saying, God, I'm going to go through this, and man, I need your help. But to another thing to say, I'm going to be going through this, God, and I need to know you. It's when we pray, you know, God, if if I'm going to be single for another year, then I need to know you. If, if this new marriage that I have is going to be the amazing thing that I've heard about marriage, then I need to know you. If, if I'm going to go through this divorce, then when I go through it, I'm going to need to know you. If I'm going to be a godly mom and dad, an example to my children, then God... I need to know you. If if I'm going to be the best parent I can to my child with special needs, then God, I'm going to need to know you. If I'm going to take this business risk and I'm going to step out in a way that I think that you're leading me, God, then I'm going to need to know you. If I'm going to go through this I've been given a prognosis, and if I'm going to go through this surgery or chemo or this treatment, then when I do, God, I'm going to need to know you. I need something more from you, God. Now, why in the world would I want to know God like that? 
because knowing God will change you. He will change you. Hopefully you won't grow horns. You might glow radiantly. But presumably that's one of the prime motivators of those who pursue God. And so often we get this backwards. Listen to me. We work more on changing. Becoming a good person. Becoming competent at whatever the category is. But we spend too little time getting to know the God who transforms us. He changes us from the inside out. So it's backwards to pursue the benefits of God without pursuing Him. And we can't, so in other words, we can't get to the promised land without the one who promised it. So look at how Paul referenced this event in Exodus that we just studied and connected it to the changes God makes in believers, okay? 2 Corinthians 3.18. And, and we all, who with unveiled faces, he's, he's referencing this event in Exodus, contemplate the Lord's glory, are being what? We're being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is a spirit. In other words, as we contemplate God's glory, we're being transformed. And I think that that is such a good reminder for all of us that it's less about what I'm pursuing in life and more about who I'm pursuing. You know, the great example to me is I shared with the church last week that during last week, Cindy and I celebrated 45 years of marriage. And, um, you know, I've read every book there is about how to be a great husband, and I've pretty much achieved it, I have to say. No, <laughs> just kidding. You guys know that's not true. And, and it's, you know, what I've learned in being married is it's not, it's not me just figuring out the stuff I should be doing, right? Um, and it's not just me responding to the commands of Cindy, you know, her telling me what I should do. That's part of it. That's called coaching. But it's about me knowing her. And the more I know her, and the more she knows me, our relationship works. I bet that's true in your relationships as well. It's about who we know, not what we know. So, to wrap up, you know, I, I have good news for you. You know, to know God, you don't have to climb 7,500 feet to the top of a mountain through smoke and fire to meet with him. And you don't have to pitch a tent outside the church here, somewhere remote in a parking lot. And you don't even have to wedge yourself into a cleft in the rock. But to know God, look at Jesus. To know God, look at Jesus. This is what Jesus said in conversation with one of the disciples, Philip, in John 14, 7. If, if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. Verse 9. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And again, another reference by Paul to, uh, uh, about Moses in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. 
Now, as a modern Christian today, we have the privilege of having the example of Jesus. Moses didn't have that. He didn't even have a Bible. Didn't even have the Old Testament at this time. Not even part of it. And Moses ends up being one of the most remarkable people in the Bible. The man for the moment. A remarkable leader that leads the children of Israel out of slavery in Egypt and through the desert to the land that God has for them. What a remarkable, remarkable guy. But he was no superman. He wasn't a genius. He had plenty of flaws and insecurities. We've seen a lot of that. He's just like us. But what made him different? What sustained him? It was God. It was the God that he knew well. And when Moses got in crisis, he wasn't going through it with a stranger. He was going through it with a close personal friend because he was willing to do things and go to places and experience what God had for him. And he put in his time with God. I'm going to ask the band to come up now. And here's my closing challenge. You can probably see it coming. Um, that God reignites that passion in us to know him. I'm not talking about just reading the Bible or, but like, like engaging in our relationship with God in a way that maybe, maybe you've never done or maybe it's been a really long time. You just kind of faded away and your Christianity is kind of dry and, you know, you're coming to church, but you're not really listening. Or, you know, when's the last time you read, you read through a gospel and just like tried to erase what you thought you knew and just looked at Jesus. Because if we want to know God, the way we know God, Jesus said, it's like he's the representation of the Father. If you've seen him, you've seen God. And here he is as a human being. And I'm a human being trying to figure out how I can know the God of the universe. And I can't even fathom how that happens. But here I have a human example, the Son of God. And I think that that's what God wants from us. He wants to reignite that passion in our hearts that desires to know God, not just know about God, not just know theology or know the Bible, but to know God and put in the time and the effort and the intensity to do so. I think it could be the most centering thing in a person's life to be pursuing God while I do life. Because it gives you a sense and a focus of what's important. And you have, a, you have a, a sense of direction in your life, even if everything's foggy and you don't know what the next step is going to be. Um, there are many ways you can do that. You know, I've, I mentioned reading the gospel, but being in church is one way, certainly. Being in a group and interacting with other people, engaging in a, like, Taking on the personal responsibility for growing too. Picking up your Bible. Reading through John or Mark or Luke. And just like looking at Jesus. Getting back to the, that, just that fundamental thing that there's all this stuff going on. And in the midst of it, I'm learning so much about God. You know, I said earlier, I, I talked to the, I mentioned those of you that you've never kind of stepped across the line of faith and become a Christian. 
You know, you can begin to know God with a simple step of faith. There's, there's no magic prayer. There's no specific thing you can say. But if you, if you just pray to prayer, you're like, I, I don't know what to say to God. And if you, if you said, God, I want to know you. I acknowledge that you are the God of the universe. And I don't, I don't want to figure stuff out all on my own. I want you in my life. That step of faith starts something. It's not the end, but it starts something. It will be life-changing for you. That's a confession of faith. And that's your first step toward knowing God. Let's pray. God, um, our hearts uh, are prone to wander, and uh, so are our minds and our attention. But uh, for anyone listening today or sitting here um, in the worship center, we're all coming from different places, God, but we, we, most of us know we need you. Pray that you would reveal yourself to us and that we would not just kind of be passive about that, but we would urgently and uh, intentionally seek you and that we would know your ways and we would know you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, you guys, for being so attentive. Uh, let's all stand and we'll worship together. Hey, everybody, it's Britt again. Thanks for listening. If you need something, if you have a question, or you'd just like us to pray for you, you can reach us through email, info at sunridgechurch.org. We hope you'll listen in again next week, but in the meantime, keep helping people find and follow Jesus.